0: Oh, I'm leading us in. That's right. We de- we decided that. Hello and welcome to another very special edition of D3 Datacast. We have another special guest this time joining us in the D3 Datacast. Big box is Akiva Poppers. Uh, you will probably know Akiva Poppers as a D3Hoops.com top twenty-five voter. He is a Yeshiva University alum. Uh, he's an executive producer emeritus, probably at this point, of Max Live, and uh, maybe still working on some broad- broadcasts at some point, but a D3 Hoops expert and aficionado. So welcome, Akiva.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I am the emeritus at this at this okay. point. I still, uh, I still am a, an advisor. Okay. Um, we have a couple of new guys running the show who have three years left in their YU careers, so definitely should be
0: doing a lot of advising this year. Okay,
1: and hopefully we got them set up for their last two years, um, but no, we keep it student run.
0: Okay, very good, very good. So taking a sideline these last couple of years, sideline approach to to Max Live at this point, almost like an SJ role, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All
2: right. So this is going to be kind of a fun episode because Akiva and Matt are both uh, in the position of constructing preseason top twenty-five ballots as they are both voters. Uh, so Matt's going to have a little bit of a dual role here as show co-host as well as show co-guest. Uh, so looking forward to this discussion. Uh, we're expecting that the top 25, the men's preseason top 25 poll uh, should be released by the end of the month. Last year, it was released October 26th. So we may be about a week and a half out Um So, yeah, let's just start with a a brief – we kind of got the general introductions out of the way, starting with you, Poppers. How long have you been a top 25 voter, and just what's the general experience been like for you?
1: Yeah, it's been, what, a year and a half or so at this point? Yeah, Pat Coleman brought me in mid-year one year. Okay. Um, And that was – it must have been my senior year at YU. Um, so I guess almost a full two years, um, there was a voter who dropped. And so he brought me in as a, it was an East coast voter and I'm on the East coast. So it was, a it made sense as a replacement. Um, I've enjoyed it so far. Um, I've, as a result, watched some more D3 games than I would have otherwise. Um, obviously I was watching a lot of D3 beforehand, uh, but now it's kind of an expectation. Um, before I was a voter, I, I was also still very involved in the, Online community, the yeah. back and forth. I was just doing it as uh, more on the critiquing end rather than on the being critiqued end. <laughs> um, so, but now I get to be on both ends because I can I can both yeah. get crit- yeah. on my ballot and also point out like <laughs> why is that team in your top twenty five, uh, or why why are they at ten when they weren't on your ballot last week, or why are they out when they were five last week, and the only team they lost to was four. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, so I can both look at other people's ballots and, and have mine looked at. Um, no, it's been a fun, fun experience. It's a nice community. Um, it's a there, There's a lot of back and forth, which you don't get on certainly the D2 level. Um, but even on, on the D1 level, because there are so many voters on the D1 level, um, whereas on D3, there are 25, and only eight or nine of them are public. It's a much smaller target base for people who aren't
0: happy and for fans. Um, so that makes everything very engaging. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned watching a lot more D3 basketball since becoming a voter. That was one thing for me as well, just in this last year, um, I'll be entering my second year as a voter. I had watched a lot, but I didn't have a specific reason to. So I maybe watched more teams that were in and around my region, but now I'm going to be voting for teams in the Northeast and in the South regions. And and I got to be able to watch those games and now be able to justify my rankings. Um, and so that's been, I spent a lot more time last year than I had previously even watching Division three basketball. So that was the same for me as well.
2: All right, so as we sit here, we're talking mostly about the preseason ballot. What's your uh, overall process over the off season in preparation uh, for, for that preseason ballot, that first top 25 ballot of the year? And where do you stand uh, in that process for this season? Poppers, we'll start with you again.
1: Yeah, so, so what I've done in the last two years, um, this year and, and the year before, is that sometime in the summer, I would drop a list of, let's say, 40 or 50 teams, which are kind of on my radar, and I can get into how they got on my radar in the first place soon. Uh, but I, I'll drop that list and say, who am I missing? Uh, because sometimes there'll be schools which were completely not on your radar, and I would not have known to even check their rosters otherwise, um, which got, let's say, three transfers, and they might not show up in the there, there's To skip ahead and I'll come back, there's a collection process done by um, the D3 Hoops folks Yeah. where we get a, a sheet of 50 or 60 teams where their coaches um, were asked to fill out information or where the coaches said, hey, we should be filling out information for our teams because we think we can compete nationally. Uh, but every once in a while, there will be a few teams which are missing from that list, uh, either because the coach didn't respond or because the D3 Hoops folks didn't realize that they belong there um, or because the coach just didn't want to have any public recognition whatsoever. Um, so uh, it's oftentimes for schools which are missing from that list, which which again could be one, two, or, th- or maybe even three or four um, teams which I would be voting in a preseason top 25. Um, the reason why I even knew to look out for them was because there was fan engagement um, online. So that's kind of where I start. There'll be that list which I come up with, and then there'll be, I'd say, 10 or 15 teams which I'll add to it just because of community engagement. And most of those teams which are shouted out, um, I either knew about and wasn't considering voting for, or um, I didn't know about, but now that I know about them, it doesn't help me whatsoever (laughs) that they were shouted out because there's really nothing there. Um, But that is good, and it also does increase um, community engagement well before the season starts. Um, the way I get to that list of 40 or 50, um, to start any team which was uh, in the picture at the end of last year, unless they graduate a ton, uh, is going to be in the picture for the next year, at least three seasons. So um, even even like a team like St. Joseph, Connecticut, which I don't plan on voting top 25, they were at least on my radar, just because while they're graduating, I know they had at least three graduate students last year, they probably lost even more, they might have lost their entire at least four out of their starting five. Yeah. Um, but there, it wasn't like they were on the brink of being ranked last year. You know, they were number one for most of the year. So they have to be on my radar still coming into the year, even if I'm probably not going to vote for them. Um, and then certainly any team which was up 10 or 15 last year, even if they lose two or three starters, does have to remain on the radar for a preseason ballot. Um, and then in addition to that, there will be teams which are just generally very strong programs. Um, where you're almost rewarding the coaching staff more or, or the recruiting staff more so than anything, um, because it, it can be a little bit of a crapshoot once you get below top 15, top 20 in a preseason ballot, and you just know that coach will have his ducks in order. They'll have recruited some guys who make sense. There might be a transfer you didn't know about. Um, they'll be doing a good job developing guys in the offseason. Um, so there, there are a few top programs, which – you have to kind of keep your eye on on a year-to-year basis on the preseason ballot, even if they didn't perform well the previous year. Um, and then in addition to that, I'll often go to the D3 boards, look at any teams which are just being shouted out over there. Because, uh, again, in this preseason ballot, there are no games to work off of. Mm-hmm. So it's not like last year, you know, let's say week 10, where teams were like, oh, we, we deserve to be ranked. And I've already watched three of their games, and I disagree. Yeah. Right here, there are no games to work off of. And while they may... I may have a general idea as to what to expect based on how the team performed last year. Year-to-year, year, things are very different. You know, the locker room situations depend vary year-to-year. Year. Development of players varies year-to-year. Year. You know, Sometimes a team will be all sophomores and they become all juniors, and now you expect them to be all better, and sometimes they regress. Um, sometimes they're all juniors, and then suddenly the next year they're all seniors, and something clicks, and, and they're great. So I, I keep it very open, but ultimately, once I have that list of around 50 teams, I'll take... Ten or fifteen teams, which I'm I'm fairly confident belong there, and then the rest of the ten, I'll I'll try to get it as right as I can. Yeah. Um. But at that point, I'm I'm ranking ten teams which I I don't really know if they belong or not. Um. And uh, I'll I'll try to. What I'm trying to do is I'm both trying to make sure I don't miss out on a team which belongs, um, which I don't I'm I'm not so high on, but other people are high on. So if, there, if there's a team which I know is going to be ranked in the top 10 preseason, uh, even if I'm not so high on them, I, I will include them just because the fact that they're getting their recognition from other people means that there's there's something up there which maybe I'm missing. And in addition, I'll also try to hit on a few teams which aren't getting that recognition, which I think could get that recognition um, in a few you know in a few months, where it'd be great if I was the first one to, to spot it a little bit. Uh, and then naturally as a result, there will be several teams, which probably belong in the top 25, which won't make my preseason ballot, uh, but we'll get there over the course of time, um, through their play as the season starts. But because it's a preseason ballot, I don't feel bad about leaving a team, which I think is the 20th best team off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was one thing last year, my first time doing this, I was very nervous about cause you, you can look through all the preseason data, but as you mentioned, there's no games to go on. So, um, you can think all you want, but I'm, I, don't, I I don't. was thinking, I don't know what the right answer is, right? I don't know who's number 21 in the country. I don't have anything really objective to say. Uh, and I was very nervous about being like, am I going to be exposed for being wrong or something like that? And the answer is yes, I was, of course, time and again last year exposed for being wrong. Um, but I think that just means there's a team I was less confident in. So th- three, four games in the season, you might have enough to know like, Hey, this team is out. Like they're not in my consideration anymore. I need to dump them to the watch list or, or pass the watch list and not care about them anymore and bring another team in. And I think that's going to be a natural part of the beginning of the season is to really, really sort through what was the real preseason hype and what wasn't Um, beyond maybe the top 10 or 15. Like you said, you're more, you're more confident and pretty, pretty happy with there. Uh, So yeah, I I had a very similar process last year. Um, It was very was very personally nervous about my top 25 last year in a way that I'm not this year, having gone through it already another time. Yeah.
1: You also can't feel so much pressure just because it's impossible to get everything right. Just because uh, you don't know what's going on from, well, what used to be October 15th to November 6th, but it's now September to, to, yeah. to the beginning of November. You have no clue what's going on. You have no clue. In, unless you are inside a locker rooms of 420 programs, you don't know what's yeah. going on. So there may be, you know, at Yeshiva, I obviously get an inside look as to what's going on, and I can get a good feel as to as to how things are going to go during the season before anyone else does. And obviously, I'm never going to put that information publicly. But the other 419 teams, I don't get that information. And I know just from having that inside access to one team how much information there is, which is just impossible to access, which will impact how good a team is, which you just can't get looking at rosters. You can't get from the test in the previous year. It's just impossible to know how things will go um, just from looking at teams on paper.
2: So let's, let's talk about a little bit more about like where things stand right now. Do you, either of you have like a one through 25 rough draft, maybe you're, you know, you're not ready to click the submit button, but you've got at least a rough draft of a one through 25, or are you still working through that like 50 team list? And maybe you have some starting to separate teams into tiers or buckets. And then maybe as that final information that you will have comes in that that's the point when you, uh, you know, start putting them in more of a one through 25 order
1: yeah so so for me right now as you may have seen during bob's show last week um i i currently have a rough list it's from one to 16 right now for the teams which are one to 16 there they are all teams that unless i'm missing something um and there are teams including that which have not published their roster so it's possible for those teams i am missing something but unless i'm missing something those teams are going to be in my top 25. um i have Separated out by adding indicators which of those teams have published their roster. Um, so, for example, Christopher Newport, I have at one, and I put a check mark next to them, which means their roster is up. And now, does that mean I'm going to vote for them number one? No. I mean, I will be voting for them number one, but does that mean I will? No, just by based on my, the way I do things. No. It just means I'm comfortable with them at number one. Um, or the team which I have at number two right now has their roster up as well. So I put a check mark next to them. Does that mean I'm voting for the number two? No, I might vote for them number th- five. Right. But ultimately, I feel very comfortable with that team near the top of my ballot. Or a team which I have at 15 with a check mark will be in my top 25. Will they be at 15? Will they be at 10? Will they be at 25? I have no clue, but they, they belong there um, based on the roster, which is out and the the information which I know for a fact. And then other teams in that 16, it's based on, I'm not really based on basing my, based on speculation, the fact that I'm putting them there. I'm basing them that, on, on that placement based on, Available information, um, but that available information is not confirmed. So and, and in particular with that available information Some of it may be hey, we know they're either having Three of their four starters or four of their th- three of their five starters or four of their five starters return and I know which of the one or two is Potentially not there um, So I don't know if I'll be ranking them at 10 or 20, but I do know they'll be in my top 25 so that, That's where I stand right now. There are 16 teams, which I'm gonna be putting in my top 25 unless something comes out in the roster which I was not expecting. And I have a general basis for where to put each of those 16 teams, but their placements are not confirmed. Um, And then after that, there are five or 10 teams which have their roster up, which I'm highly considering for the top 25, but I'm not sure yet. Um, I mean, kind of as part of this, there's the top 25, top 10. These are very vague phrases, Mm -hmm. which ultimately come down to in reality it comes down to how many teams do i think are better than them but you could have a team which you have you have to put a team at number 10 you don't have any choice so even if you only feel comfortable with nine teams as top 25 teams still the team at number 10 is going to be a top 10 team now do you think they're a top 10 team no but you have to put someone at 10 um right so so even if i feel comfortable about these teams as uh, potential top 25 teams and they have their rosters published they might end up slipping down to 30 or 35 just because there are other teams which, once they have their rosters published, I will put ahead of them. Um, right? Even if I feel comfortable about them as a top 25 team, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to fit into my top 25 because there are only so many spots to fill. Uh, and then for the other 30 or so teams left in that preseason list, I have not delved deep into them yet. Um, and at this point, I'm probably just going to wait for the D3 hoops um, sheet to come out, and that way um, I'll – of those thirty, there are fifteen which I'm not really considering seriously. But maybe if they got a transfer, um, I would consider them seriously. Um, and for the other fifteen, they're similar to those teams which have their roster out, but they don't have the roster out, and so I'm just waiting on that right now. Um, I what will probably happen is after that sheet comes out within two days, I will have a top twenty-five put
0: together. Yeah, yeah, I'm in a I'm a yeah. pretty similar yeah. spot to to you right now. Um, I do have a one through twenty five list. Uh, I consider that kind of directional in nature at this point. I think just looking at the names on the list, um up through probably twenty one, I feel good about those teams maybe being in my top twenty five at some point. Um, probably not, I'm not promising any of those teams that I've not mentioned that they're gonna be in the top twenty five, but I, I think probably those teams will be in it. and then, who's in the last four spots I'm trying to determine, and then what's the order going to be. I'm not really super confident, even going through um, the QCAST roundtable episode that went out, just in how confident or, or less confident some team, people were in some of those teams. I even maybe made some adjustments to my order or get made myself a note to look deeper into another team. So that's kind of where I am. And as you said, we still haven't gotten our packet of information from d3hoops.com, which is probably the single most valuable resource we can have. Uh, as a top 25 voter, as far as what information is on there and confirming some of these transfer rumors that maybe we've heard about, but haven't seen confirmed on a roster if that school hasn't posted it yet. Uh, So yeah, I probably do. I probably could submit a top 25 right now if I needed to, but there's no reason to, and I'm not, I don't feel locked into that. And probably a bunch of those are going to, are going to, going to maybe change or change order, Uh, maybe slide in or slide out based on what we see surprises we see on other rosters as well.
2: So speaking of transfers goes into uh, the next topic we wanted to hit here. Like this time last year, I feel like there was a lot of talk about John Carroll, right? They the year before, they didn't have a lot of success, but then their roster like completely changed over with a bunch of uh, transfers in mostly from mostly or entirely from higher levels. How do you weigh transfers into D- Division three programs uh, both from upper levels and within division three?
1: Yeah, so there's, there's kind of a two-piece here right, in terms of how I approach this. Um, firstly, with John Carroll preseason last year, I did not rank them. Um, and just to explain, and this will this will explain half of what I want to say, um, All almost all of those guys had no experience, essentially, in actually playing basketball. And so no matter how good of a talent is coming out of high school, and no matter how much they'll learn as a D one kid or as a D two kid, given the resources that the program may have. If, until you actually play basketball, I don't, uh, on a collegiate level, there's no way to really know how good you are. Uh, And I don't know how much information they picked up when they were in D one sitting on the bench and just attending practices every day and hitting the weight room every day. I don't know how, how good these, these kids were. I knew how good they were coming out. They were, how good they were considered coming out of high school. But how that crosses over to the D three level and actually playing, there's no way to know. And especially with, with what John Carroll had last year, when you have four or five kids like that, how that will work when they're all coming together, um, having to to develop chemistry between those guys. And they had they had some chemistry because some of those guys had played together in high school. Um, so that helps certainly, but that's another aspect as well. Um so when it comes to D1, D2 level guys, if they haven't had much experience playing, um, unless it's it's a massive wave like John Carroll where that put it on my radar, I won't take too much of it into account. And now there are exceptions. Um, so, for example, NYU, um, and I don't know the, the precise nature of these transfers because I don't think they have their roster up, but I do know they are getting some bigs as transfers, and that's really all they were lacking last year was, a, and that's that's why they struggled in the UAA, was a, a big, because they have the the player who I think is the best player in the country in Spencer Freeman. Um, I I know he wasn't player of the year last year, but that's who I think is the best player in the country. Um, and they have a dynamic enough offense such that, A, if they're able to get post touches, and B, just to have someone defensively um, who can compete with some of these other bigs in the UAA, that would be a massive jump for them. So that sort of transfer could be program-changing, um, just one guy. Uh, but then again, I don't know how good the kid's going to be because you know, if he doesn't have so much experience on D1 level, who knows? Um, now, uh, the other the other side of the coin is you take like Case Western this year, where they have five, I think D3 transfers who played massive minutes and were studs when they were in D3. I think they're they have nine. They, if you add up all the the, the guys who were on their team last year and all the transfers who are coming in, um, all, all the returning players and all the new guys, uh, they, have, they combined for like 125, 130 points a game last year, um, if not more, which, you know, obviously is well more than, than a team would score per game. Um, and so these are guys who have had, ex- had success on the DT level. And really all that's left is to develop that chemistry. So there there's less of a concern. There's still some concern because – You know, it can be tough if you have five guys who are used to being the leading scorer, and now you have to put them all together and say, hey, you actually have to take roles now um, outside of being the scoring guy. Um, And so that, but that is really all the coaching staff has to focus on from the outset. So, and I would also assume that the coaching staff would make sure that when they're accepting these transfers that they don't, they aren't concerned so much about that one of them is going to be a ball hog right if, if they knew one of them was a ball hog type of player coming in they wouldn't take them in in the first place these are assumptions which you have to make you have to ask you have yeah. to watch the team but but that's why i'm comfortable let's say with case western being a top 10 team for this year um just because i know how talented those kids are and how successful they've been on the d3 level um and i'm positive that that success can carry over to case western the only concern is the chemistry side um so so i approach things differently when it comes to guys who have played already on the collegiate level and had success versus guys who are talented out of high school and went to a higher level and are now going down to D3. Uh, I think there's a huge difference between the two. And then obviously there are small um, intricacies which exist for specific situations, which I have to think about as well on a case-to-case basis.
0: No no pun intended. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm probably thinking about this a little bit similarly to you. Um, I probably would put a little more stock at this point in a player who's played Division Three at an all conference level than a player who was just has like a D two or D one next to their name and maybe didn't play. Uh, I would, I bet those are good players and probably will add rotation depth to a team. But I don't know if they're going to be a starter or if they're going to be like the eighth man off the bench. We've you know we've seen players transfer into Calvin, the team that we follow, and sometimes those D two type players do come in and they start. Sometimes they're really good. Sometimes they're just, you know, more of a, an average type starter. Sometimes a transfer will come in and come off the bench or won't play in certain games. So just because it's a D2 player um, doesn't mean they're going to come in and like be your star, right? Because they're from a higher division. Oh my goodness. So yeah, if, if they haven't really played at D1 or D2, I'll consider them more of rotation depth and, and give a bump to that team, but not like a major bump. Uh, but I think like you said, as case, if they have proven D3 stars, let's say, Uh, I I think maybe that does elevate them to a higher degree, or I will put more stock in that because we know at this level, they can probably compete in the UAA. Um, But again, like just a random D2 guy, maybe got five minutes a game. I don't know. Sorry. It's not going to be a huge bump for your team probably.
1: And also something else to consider here is the efficiency of certain players. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have a kid who averaged 25 points a game on shooting 40 from the floor and 35 from three, uh, you know, obviously that will probably help a team. There's no way to know how things will sort out. You know, it could be that someone will be uh, subtraction by addition um, rather than, uh, you know, we always talk about addition by subtraction. You get rid of a kid and now you're better. You could have a kid who comes in and that hurts your program, even if he looks really good on paper. Um, but uh, that is it's something which I, I take into account because if you have a kid who is used to being the guy yeah. and really the, the reason why he's um, a known player in the first place is because he's had to carry a team. And, and so by nature, he is taking more difficult shots than he would be taking in this new team, which he's going to be playing for. Um, but also you have to consider that um, perhaps he won't be as all-American level of a player. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we have we have guys who are all-American level players because they score a lot. Um, but there is, it's, it's also, it can be unclear how that will carry over when they're going to be getting fewer touches in a new program, because you assume that their touches are getting better looks, but also, you know, that they're not going to score as much. And so maybe this isn't as big of an impact transfer as it may seem on paper. Yeah. Um, uh, but th- um, these are, also, if, if I was in a locker room or I, or I was, if I was able to talk yeah. to a coach and they're going to give me that information, uh, before the season starts, which, which, you know, obviously is not likely to happen. Uh, And then that would be useful. Um, but again, we're, we're kind of working out off of, off of paper here, right? We don't know how the team's practices are going for the first month of the year, uh, unless we have inside information. So you kind of have to consider it and maybe bump the team up a little bit, even if you don't think it'll be that big of a deal, just because, Oh, maybe it will be a bigger deal. Um, but, but it's, this is all it's, it's an exercise which is very imperfect, to say
0: the least. For sure. Absolutely. Yep. Um hey so I mentioned that QCast round table episode that was released this last week. Uh, you submitted your information to it, but unfortunately we're not available to attend. Um just thinking through that that kind of discussion that was had, uh, maybe surefire top ten teams. I think we named a lot or or sleeper teams outside of the top twenty five. I'm sorry that I picked Catholic and 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 still your thunder there. Is there any other teams that you think were worth mentioning that either um, were were talked about or weren't talked about on that episode, or you think hey this wasn't a, a this is a team that's maybe off off other people's radars, but that you're looking at highly that you don't think will be. Um, Talk about as much nationally leading up to the top 25 poll
1: yeah well first of all um i guess bob was the one who mentioned redlands so redlands is on my radar it did not make the screenshot which i sent him <laughs> okay but but they are on my radar and a team in consideration for top 25 um happens to be at that conference is very tricky this year in terms of the preseason because it's not a good enough conference to put three teams in your preseason top 25, but there are three teams which I would feel comfortable putting in my, my preseason top 25 there,
2: yeah.
1: um, CMS Redlands and Pomona pitcher. Um, and so that's, it's going to have to be a further thought of mine as to how to address that situation. But I do think Redlands has a very legitimate potential to be dangerous this year and played deep into March um, kind of, we'll have to think about how to address that. They, but they were not a team which I'm definitively comfortable with as a top 25 team. Um, and then um, I mean Ryan brought up Swathmore. I, I Swathmore is probably gonna make my top twenty-five, but I'm not as confident as him if they're a top ten team, but we'll have to see there. Um I was surprised that no one mentioned Williams just because I, I Rainiac mentioned them in his NESCAC preview, but they weren't mentioned in other other than that. Um I know this is a, this was a big topic of debate last year because, oh, they look great by the eye test, but they don't have the results. They don't have the, the strong wins. Um, and so this is something where I, I will carry over an eye test from one year to another. And, you know, ob- obviously it's a team which disappointed. It's a team which uh, I thought was better than how they actually played. And I think is better or was better than how the results actually went. And so I'm not going to, say, oh, you know, I was incorrect based on their results from last year, therefore I'm going to penalize this team in terms of how I view them for this upcoming year. It's still a preseason poll. If I think this team by the eye test was good last year and they return almost everyone, I'm still going to consider them good for this year. And hey, maybe they actually just flat out are not as good as I think they are. Or it could be they had some sort of chemistry issue or some locker room issue or something we just don't know about. Um, So so, uh, it's not... I was surprised they weren't talked about just because I, I do think they are a legitimate team in terms of the talent that they have and the size that they have. Um, other teams, which were, I, I'm not surprised that they weren't mentioned, but obviously Johns Hopkins is going to be in the preseason top 25 um, just because their turn, everyone except for a quarry from a three sixteen team last year, which lost by one to whitewater. Um, and then, yeah, I still have to do further research. I'm, Interested by the fact that the CCIW has kind of been, um, it, it's, I guess, widely considered. It's very early to say this, but widely considered to be two teams gunning for the top spot in Carthage and North Park. Um, I would not be surprised if Illinois Wesleyan finds himself winning the league. Period. Um, I think Matt, you did the CCIW preview and you mentioned you wouldn't be surprised if they finished second. I wouldn't be surprised if they won it. Um, I Harrison Wilson was not 100% last year, and Nick Roper was hurt, and obviously they got Yoder the back, and I, I they were better than their record last year, and they were hurt last year, and so there's some potential there, and that it's something which I'm going to have to think about is how to handle the CCIW as well in my preseason top 25 because I'm not scared to put three CCIW top 25 teams there, um, but it might be weird if I have three teams. In the CCIW all between like 16 and 25 my ballot. I'm just kind of stuffing them in there. Um, and it's, so, it's something which I'm going to have to think about um, how to handle there. Um, I, Based on that conversation and general conversation online, I'm expecting that Carthage and North Park are going to be the two ones ranked preseason. And none of the other teams are going to be ranked. They'll get maybe a few votes here and there, uh, but certainly not ranked. Um, but I am high on Illinois Wesleyan coming into the year. But I'm just not sure how to, how to handle it on preseason ballot at this point um so we'll have to wait and see on that one
0: yeah I think uh I, I was also surprised Williams wasn't mentioned I I had them down as a team I was prepared to talk about a little bit uh, but I didn't really have the chance um they're a team for me I think is probably in my preseason top 10 uh, or in that range and Johns Hopkins for me probably a team in and around that range as well but maybe just outside the top 10 so yeah those are two uh, teams for me I'm kind of debating where exactly do I put them, but I think they're both in the top half of my top 25 preseason again, pending further information. Um, but I think I like that. They returned Johns Hopkins, one of those coaching changes, team coaching changes teams. Uh, but Ryan Kane is no, no stranger to, you know, coaching top 25 caliber teams. Uh, so I think that'll, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but I think they will be be in the mix as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as part of that, I mean, you know, there's no way to know how coaching change is going to come out because these are not, these are not his guys.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and you know, obviously, each coach comes in and, and they want to bring a given system with them, and you know, maybe that system is more built towards the guys which that coach would want to recruit. Um, so, you know, it's very possible. There are some major coaching changes across the top: Whitewater, Kansas State, Johns Hopkins, uh, and you know, obviously, off the top, as as Ryan Scott mentioned during during Bob's show, you would think probably Whitewater is going to have the biggest effect, um, which you know they're they're losing a legendary coach in in Miller. And these are young guys. Whereas Keene State, these are older guys and Hastings has been there for a while and with Johns Hopkins, you know, Kane was at Keene State and so he knows how to coach too. Um, but there's there's no these are you obviously take guesses based on that as to how to play the team in the preseason, but there's certainly no there's no formula out there for how coaching changes will impact the team. Uh, you know, it could end up being very damaging even if you have a coach who is uh, well experienced and also it could be um like when when Joachim left oshkosh and lewis won there uh, right you could have even even if he wasn't playing with his guys but Yucca's guys were, were very talented and he was able to win a championship with him so um you know there's no there's no set formula on how to handle that but i do expect hopkins to be a good team this year yeah
2: all right so you get your preseason top 25 ballot done but that's really just the start of things, right? So you got to move into the season. You're going to have to be producing another one of these, and you know, weekly or every other week, depending on how the schedule is playing out. So let's just start here. Does does your off season list automatically become your initial watch list, um, or is there or is there something about uh, you know those less leftover teams that that list might grow or shrink uh, uh, as you head towards that second ballot?
1: Yeah, so I take the, let's say, 30 teams which I were considering, in, in quotes, um, preseason, whether or not I seriously consider them or not, and I do put them on a, on a watch list, but it's a very, I, I do differentiate between some of the teams which just missed versus teams which I really just had there because I wanted to keep an eye on them. Um, teams which I wasn't really considering seriously for a top 25, but I know have the potential down the line. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so those 30 teams do turn to my watch list. And then very quickly, I'm able to eliminate several of them, um, just watching how things actually show up on the floor. And you know, there's, they you could eliminate a team very quickly, and then they show up again three months later, um, just because teams could have early struggles. But uh, you know, I'm if if they do get over those early struggles, I will figure that out later. Uh, you know, I don't want to have a watch list of thirty teams every single week. I I want to have my list be more like ten deep, sort of. I want to have kind of a top thirty-five. Uh, and then, yes, just by watching games, I will either buy there, – there will be some teams which I don't even watch them for the first two weeks, and then I will look at the results, and I will see that, wait a minute, I was not expecting that result. Maybe I should watch that team, and I'll either watch that game on demand or I'll, I'll watch one of their future games, um, and I'll end up developing from scratch a watch list of teams which were not in that top, let's say, 50 or 55 to start the year. Um, so that that process will kind of happen naturally, and then – uh, by the time you get to early December, those 30 teams have absolutely, there's absolutely no consideration anymore for me um, for those 30 teams when it comes to expectations I had coming into the year. Um, because again, of those 30 teams, about 10 of them are, are ones which I wanted to put in my top 25 kind of, but you know, I didn't really have space for them. Um, but even, even once you get to early December, either they've, they've shown that by either results or the guy test that they are legit or, They haven't. And so I'm, I'm working completely from scratch at that point. And then, you know, from week to week, I will uh, take my watch list and probably add a few teams to it and take away a few teams from it. And any team which I drop out of my top 25 will automatically go onto my watch list for the next week. Um, So that's how I handle the watch list.
2: So Matt, from previous discussions we've had just kind of informally, it seems like you usually have a little bit more momentum early on of taking teams away as opposed to adding teams. So it sounds like maybe you handle it a little bit similar.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty similar. Um, my I think last year I think I had too big of a watch list for most of the year, and and for me a watch list is a, a team that I will make sure I I check their efficiency ratings, their Massey ratings, um, just make sure every week I'm checking their results to see did they have good wins, good losses, and I'm cataloging those. I don't think I was quick enough to maybe cross stuff off or just do like check back later. Like it's it's gonna be a couple of weeks before I need to look back at this team. Uh, but yeah, I think at some points like my total list. Including my top twenty-five was maybe as long as eighty teams, um, and I think that was too big. I think that was too big. I think I need to cut that down. Um, but I, I was looking, you know, I'm, I'm more of a I'm more of a da- a data guy, so I really want a, a data reason. So teams that were on my watch list were, you know, if you were in efficiency ratings or a Massey ratings top 25 or maybe you were inside the top 40 on both of those then that might mean you're on my watch list if any other voter is giving you votes then I think like oh someone is looking at them I need to make sure they're at least on my watch list so I'm considering them correctly um, I think I think I was just too wide in some of my categories of what makes a team on a watch list and I realized later on this team's been like 40th all season long like they need to do something before they creep creep up higher into my top 25. So I just need to not really look at that team for a couple of weeks. And I think I need to be okay taking a team off my radar for a while, but I do start my preseason list, including my watch list does start my list for the top 25, but pretty quickly, uh, as Akiva was saying, teams are going to show themselves to maybe not really be worth any preseason hype. They were, they were getting, maybe they drop a couple games early. Uh, and it's like, Hey, maybe I'll look at you in January, but right now you're not a top 25 team. Um, if there's some surprising early season results, then maybe a team will also jump on my watch list. Um, uh, so yeah, it's pretty fluid in November. And I think it's, um, by the end of the year, that list is trimmed down and either you've even either you've proven yourself or you haven't proven yourself and come second half of January into February. I think there's a lot less movement. Maybe the only team that really moved was whitewater over those last couple of weeks. They were kind of off, not off my watch list, but kind of off my top 25 radar. And then obviously through the tournament run made themselves into, a uh, you know, top 10-ish team or whatever, they ended up on my list.
2: So let's talk, let's talk about uh, data versus eye test. How do you balance the two? Matt, let's start with you.
1: Oh, Um, we got to
0: start with the guy on this one. Yeah. I'm more of a data person. So, so getting some sort of computer rating, getting, it will get you onto my table, right? There's some reason for you to be there. I I do watch a lot of games. I do consider my personal eye test, but I'm also of the opinion that I cannot watch enough games with enough context. uh, And I'm also not like X's and O's skilled, just personally, I I will admit that, to know like, is this team really, truly a great eye test team? Or did they maybe have a good game when I watched them? Or did they maybe have just a bad game when I watched them and all the other ones have been great? So I do use it. I do incorporate it, but I'm much more data heavy than I am eye test heavy.
1: Yeah, so happens to be I'm I'm a I'm a data guy in terms of my my day to day my, my job, but um, I I've, I've been very public that I do prioritize the eye test um, as as number one uh, because I don't think that the numbers in terms of the top Massey or um, Matt your your list I don't think that they, they tell the full story um, because uh, I don't, just as a very simplistic example, you could have a team win 90 to 50 against, let's say, a team which you had, the team which you had number 300 scored 50 points. And you may look at that from a data perspective and say, wow, this team must be really good offensively. Because even though that team is number 300, they put up 90 points on them and they won by 40. Um, and then you could watch the game and, and say, well, that team, that every single, they were running basic actions and number 300 couldn't do anything about them. And so this win doesn't really tell me about this team's potential against legitimate teams, or it could be, Hey, they, their actions that they're running are actually quite nice. And I think this will carry over against a a top 50 team, top hundred team. And so then I'll consider that as even better than a 40 point win. Um, So um, that's, that's the kind of the basic reason as to why I consider the eye test to be more important, just because I don't think the numbers tell the full story. Uh, naturally, because there are four hundred twenty teams, I do have to use um, data to some extent here. So, um, the, my first focus when I'm actually building a top twenty-five, if there's, uh, we'll, well, I'll look at statistics rather than the the rate the ratings. Um, so, um, key statistics like uh, how many, how how well does your opponent shoot from three, and then. Oh, your opponent shoots thirty percent from three. Let me actually watch the game and figure out if that was if that's because you're doing something or because your opponents just are awful. Um, so I'll, I'll use statistics to kind of tell myself where I should be looking if I have very little time, in in terms of an eye test. Um, and then, yeah, I I will I there will be a team let's say which isn't on my radar at all, and I will see. Oh, in Matt rank in Massey's rankings or in match ratings they went up fifty, and why did they go fifty? Because they beat that team which she had ranked 150, by 50 points. And you know, maybe I missed that game or I didn't watch that game. Or I don't have time to watch that game. I didn't know that game was even happening. And because of that, I'll take a look at that team. Um, And then ultimately, yes, if, if there's a point where I'm not so sure between two teams and I think they're close and let's say one of them is ranked by Massey as number 20 and one of them is ranked by Massey as number 50, yes, I will default to the team which is ranked number 20 uh, because you know, maybe there is something there in the numbers, which says that maybe this team actually deserves it. Um, but but yeah, I, I do prioritize the iTest, and my default off of the iTest is um, really just based on not having enough time to watch all these games. Um, and then, and and I do find data to be very useful in terms of figuring out what to be watching, besides for the things which are already on my radar. Um, so yeah, I do I do consistently visit um, Matt your website and and Massey, um, but. I'm less so visiting it to inform where I should be ranking teams versus to inform which teams I should be watching.
0: Well, Akiva, this has been a great discussion. It's always fun to talk Division Three basketball. It's October 15, we've all been, it's all really early. I think you and I have probably already been at this kind of thing for for two weeks, a month maybe, uh, but we're excited to get real games going. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to talk. Uh, anything, any last words you wanna say um, to Division Three fans out there who might be tuning in from your perspective, uh, either about the upcoming season or any, or anything related?
1: Well, I always appreciate any community engagement on, on anything I put out there. Criticize whatever you think deserves to be criticized. Uh, uh, you know, I, sometimes they'll be back and forth, which will just be totally pointless. Um, because someone's just like, Oh, this player is the best player in D3, and you know, I, I can tell they haven't watched more than five games of basketball, besides for their team. Uh, but certainly, in terms of saying, Hey, maybe this team you're considering them incorrectly, or this team you should be watching, or um, and really anything community engagement wise is nice. And then once in a while, it will impact how I view a team, uh, not directly, but indirectly. Uh, because, you know, if I if I get some information, which I'll say, well, I hadn't thought about before, then then at least I'll make an effort to look at that team further. Um, you know, I'm not going to change my opinion because someone says you should change your opinion, uh, but I, I will look at that team further. And if I if I think it warrants it based on the feedback I'm getting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the fun things about Division 3 is that interaction that we can all have about the games and about the teams. Um, But anyway, thanks for stopping by. We appreciate the discussion and we look forward to games and that furthered community engagement with each other.
2: It's going to be a great season. Our thanks to Akiva Poppers for joining us for today's discussion. And as always, a special thanks to these fine people listed on the screen here who are supporting us on Patreon, including Bill Saul and Drew Latrenta, who have joined us as great job team supporters since the new episode. Thanks to them and everyone else for their continued support. If you would like to learn more about how you can support the show, uh, help keep d3datacast.com ad-free and uh, no paywalls for any of the data contained there. Head to patreon.com slash d3datacast.
0: Good job, team.